I finished up last Sunday uh, the Fit Church series. I had no intention of getting into another series. I didn't know exactly what uh, I would be sharing or where I would be going next. But as I prayed this week and, and sought the Lord, He began to speak to me once again uh, in a series. So I want to introduce this series to you this morning before we actually get into the Scripture. How many would agree with me today that, um, first of all, some things in life are just complex and complicated. Can I hear an amen? Now listen, y'all have had more time than the 845 crowd. You're going to have to wake up this morning. I know you had to set your clock forward an hour. You had to get up an hour earlier. You should have went to bed an hour earlier, right? But uh, we're, we're glad that you're here. But let me ask that again. How many would agree that some things in life are just complex and complicated? Amen. Rubik's Cubes. Can anybody work and figure out a Rubik's Cube? Does anybody about lose their religion like me when you try? Right? Calculus. If you're a college student, calculus or statistics, wherever Abby is, stats, yeah. Uh, or for some of us, just math in general, right? <laughs> but have you ever wondered why some people, why in scary movies sometimes, people always want to run into barns, basements, or cellars? Anybody ever wondered about that? Have you ever wondered why in the action movies, why people never take the gun of the person they disarm or the person they knock out, they leave them there with their weapon, knowing that they could very well get back up again or there's other bad guys to face, right? Something else in life that's complicated, guys, you're going to have to help me because the ladies won't. Women. Yeah, right. yeah, Dwight said, yeah, mine's not here. She's watching live stream though, brother, and you are in trouble. But ladies, don't get offended at me when I say that because most of you would agree that we men are very simple-minded creatures, right? Yeah. But in all seriousness this morning, what I want to talk about is our faith was never supposed to be complex or confusing. Our faith was never supposed to be complicated or confusing. The plan of salvation is very simple. The gospel of Jesus was designed with simplicity but man has this propensity to make things harder than they should be somebody say amen and so in the Bible when you read the word when you find when Jesus arrives on the scene in this earth that man had severely complicated matters if you don't realize that let me share some things with you the Ten Commandments had been given. The Ten Commandments that were easily understood and easy to follow. Those Ten Commandments had been taken. And man had done what they called clarifying. That was a direct quote. They said they clarified them. Those Ten Commandments until now, they were 613 laws. They had developed the Mishnah, which was an oral tradition of commentary on the Mosaic Law that introduced additional man-made rules, they said, that built a fence around the Mosaic Law so people wouldn't even come close to breaking one of those original Ten Commandments. They had to have 613 laws to make sure that the people wouldn't break one of the Ten Commandments. Then this Mishnah that they came up with had 63 subsections. Is that not crazy? For instance, on the idea of keeping the Sabbath day, they had 39 categories of forbidden labor which are prohibited by this commandment. And under these categories, dozens of other kinds of labor that were forbidden. 
They made it complex. They made it confusing. And so Jesus walks into this crushing environment and he systematically tries to simplify everything. And once in the scripture, when he was asked to make commentary on the already commentary to death, Ten Commandments, he simply answers by saying, there are two great commandments. Two. Very simply, love God and love your neighbor. Jesus made it simple. And because Jesus made it simple, we should make it simple too. So that's what we're going to do over the course of the next few weeks. We're going to try to go back to the basics. We're going to make sure that we're focusing on what really matters. We could take time. We could try to expound and be deep and be profound and all of that stuff. But can I tell you something? Way too often in the church, we try to educate people, particularly new converts. We try to educate them beyond their level of obedience. And certainly beyond their level of experience. Let me say that again. We try to educate people beyond their level of obedience and certainly beyond their level of experience. And one of the simplest truths that we learn is one of the ones that we often first forget. We're going to talk about it later today. But when we forget this simple truth, the ramifications on our actions and our behavior and even our way of thinking becomes dramatic, dramatizing, and sometimes devastating to our faith. So I want to speak to you today, a series we're going to begin, I've simply titled Simplicity. And today we're looking at part one, what it means to be a disciple. If you will stand with me all over the house this morning, we're going to read one passage of scripture and then we're going to pray. Mark chapter one, verses 16 through 20. Mark chapter one, 16 through 20. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. If you will, stretch your hands toward heaven. Pray with me and for me today. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your presence. We've already felt here. God, I can't add anything or take anything away from your word. So I ask you for the next few moments that you would decrease me. Lord, that you would increase the spirit of the Lord within me. And that your word would come forth today, God, in the power and the demonstration of your spirit. But most importantly, Father, it's my prayer today that we would leave this place differently. God, let your word change us from who we are into who you've called us to be. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise as you're seated this morning. It's so good to see Kendra and Matt and Jace back there this morning. It's great to have them all the way from North Carolina. So good to see them. Um, in this passage of Scripture, we find Jesus, and he sees Simon Peter, and he calls him and says, come follow me to, to, P, to Peter and Andrew. And then he sees James and John uh, in the boat together with their father, Zebedee. And he calls James and John to come follow him. And so that's in Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 2, this scene is repeated. And in this scene, he calls Levi, 
the tax collector, otherwise known as Matthew. Then by Mark chapter 3, we find that Jesus has chosen 12 disciples to be with him. And we don't even understand that Jesus is turning the system of the day up on its head when he's doing this choosing. The first way he did this was who he chose to be his disciples. You see, each village and each town had a synagogue. The temple had been destroyed, so since they couldn't go to the temple, they brought the temple to the people. The synagogue was more than just a place of worship. It was their place of education. The house of God should be the place where you learn about the Word of God. Can I tell you this morning that, and, and I, if this steps on your toes, I apologize. I don't know specifically who you are. I'm not the discipleship director. But it is important that you attend discipleship in your local church. It is important that you don't just sit on Sunday mornings and listen to somebody preach and that's the only teaching or training that you get in the Word. It's important that you learn the Word of God as much as it is that you hear the Word of God preached. Can I hear an amen? So they called the temple their place of education. So what happened inside the temple was all of the five to ten-year-old boys and girls go to what they called the house of the book. That's what they called the temple. To learn the Torah, or better known to us as the Pentateuch. It's the first five books of the Bible. And then all of the 11 to 12-year-old boys attended what was called a great interpretation. And in the great interpretation, what they learned, the 11 and 12-year-olds, was how to take the word that they had been taught from the time they were 5 to 10 and apply it to their general everyday life. Then when a boy was 13 years old, he went through what was called bar mitzvah. And that was the, known as the rite of passage. And at this time, that's when all of the A students looked for a rabbi. All of the other boys who were not A students, I want you to stick with me. All of the other boys who were not A students, uh, were they entered into their father's business because they couldn't get a rabbi that they attached to because they weren't an A student. So their second option was to enter into their father's business. Can I tell you this morning that the fact that every single one of the men that Jesus called, that Jesus picked, that Jesus chose, every one of them were involved in their father's businesses. Isn't that good? That tells us that they flunked out. That tells us that they did not excel. They were not good students. They showed no promise in religious things. Is anybody besides me glad this morning that Jesus doesn't just choose those that everybody else thinks that he should choose, but God in his infinite wisdom and in his infinite mercy, he sees fit to reach down his hand and call out those that nobody else wants. Can I hear an amen? I shared this morning with the 845 crowd because Stephanie Sturgill was here in the 845 service this morning. How that she just happened to be in an apartment down the road from this church when a group, the invite team we used to call them, from this church went out inviting folks in this neighborhood that did not attend a church anywhere to church. She just so happened to be visiting a girlfriend that lived in one of those apartments. Stephanie herself lived in Williamsburg by herself. She was 
uh, an alcoholic, she will tell you a full-fledged alcoholic, and her life was a mess. But when the knock came at the door, God had orchestrated it, and God had saw fit that Stephanie was the one that came to the door that God invited to church. And I'm glad to report to you over five years later that she came in very shortly thereafter on a Wednesday night service, and when the invitation was given, she made her way to this altar. She gave her heart to Jesus Christ. We have watched God deliver her from alcoholism. And not only that, God gave her a wonderful husband that was with her in the early service, blessed her with two children. One of those children has gone through a battle with cancer, but he went back for his last PET scan this week after treatment. And I'm glad to report to you that by the healing hand of God, Zayden Goodland is in full remission. Don't tell me that God won't choose who God wants to choose. I look out over this crowd this morning, and I see Michaela Phelps back there. She knew I was going to call her out again. I told her, I said, the time's coming. You're getting ready to give your testimony in a sanctuary service. I'm looking. You're looking at a girl that was part of a gang. She was addicted to drugs and alcohol. Am I right? She was living. Huh? You never part of the gang. You was running from the gang, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, getting drugs from the gang, right? Living in a crack house in Indiana. And she was a lesbian. But no, maybe nobody else wanted her. Maybe everybody else wanted to cast her away because of all the things in her life. But I'm so thankful that God orchestrated that on a friend Sunday, she would walk through those doors. And when the invitation was given, she would kneel in this altar. And I would be blessed to watch God one by one cast the chains of alcoholism off of her. Cast the chains of drug addiction off of her. Cast the chains of lesbianism off of her. And today, she's serving God, giving her testimony here and other places because God chose. Michaela Phelps. That's the kind of God that we serve. The second most important thing is that in the system of the day, the disciple selected the rabbi. The 13-year-old would attach himself to a teacher whom he wanted to become like. Not just learn what he taught, but also to become like that rabbi in character. However, Jesus, who is the rabbi, chooses his disciples. Think about that for a moment. The chosen one chooses men to follow him. The good and the simple news is that Jesus continues to choose today. He still seeks people that others would cast off and cast aside. He still selects the unselectable. When Angie and I planted this church, and I'll tell you what I told the early crowd this morning, I don't want to offend anybody. It's not my intent to say that, but I want you to understand where I'm coming from. As I was preparing this message this week, I thought back to when we planted this church in July of 2013. As I laid on my face in my bonus room in my house before the Lord, and I said, God, whoever you send us, we will love them. Whoever you send us, we will pastor them. God, if you don't give us anything else, give us the people that nobody else wants. And then I began to look around this room sometimes. And as I look around the room, I don't see a lot of high-profile community people. I don't see a lot of people with high stature. I don't see a lot of exceptionally wealthy people. But what I see is the kind of the same people that I ask God for that maybe somebody else didn't want, but God chose you. Maybe somebody else uh, doesn't 
doesn't give the time of day to because you're not the high society status that somebody else is. But we, that status doesn't matter when it comes to God. God does the choosing. You can have more anointing on your life than you do money. And you'll be more blessed in this world than those that have more money. Can I hear an amen? God will do the choosing. God will do the choosing. He chooses many times those that nobody else wants. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31, he says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from our sins. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. Then again in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 6, Paul said, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us. And he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Listen to this. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for this glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Can I tell you this morning that God chose you because he wanted to choose you. And God choosing you brings God great pleasure. Isn't that good? So why are those portions of Scripture important when we consider whether or not we are true disciples? First of all, the thing that I said that we often learn first and then we forget first. We need to remember that God did the choosing. In spite of our shortcomings and our unworthiness, Jesus decided to add us to his team. Overlooked and outcast in society, the less thans or the unwanted, he still gathers us. Why is that an important thing to know? I'll tell you why. It should fill our hearts with joy to know there is no low that we can get to that he won't still come for us. We can't go far enough away that he still won't welcome us back with open arms. It should fill our hearts with joy because He first loved us. We were hand-picked by God. We were selected. We weren't worthy. We weren't worthy. But God chose us anyway. That should also fill our hearts with humility. Because if we did the picking and choosing, it would lead to pride. But we didn't choose Him. He chose us. Romans 5 and 8 declares that while you and I we're still sinners living in sin. Christ died for us. We also need to remember this because, listen to me, there will be days when we are facing difficult situations 
that we will not feel chosen. However, we need to remember that our chosenness has nothing to do with feeling. Now, we are a church of God, a Pentecostal church. We have emotional worship. I like emotion in the worship. I'm emotional myself. If you're not, that's okay. I like emotional worship, but can I tell you something? You cannot live your life on a feeling. Because your feelings are great liars. Feelings and emotions are important in many areas. But your feelings and your emotions are completely unreliable in matters of faith. Paul Shearer said, The Bible wastes very little time on the way we feel. We live in an age of sensation. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. I've even heard people say things like, Oh, I felt like, or, or no, I, I should have lifted my hands in worship today, or I wanted to lift my hands in worship today, but I never felt like it. Can I tell you this morning, that is an ignorant way, an unlearned way to look at worshiping God. It gets real quiet when you use that word. Ignorant just means unlearned. It's okay. That is an unlearned way of worshiping God. What are you talking about, Pastor? You don't have to feel it to worship a God that's worthy. The psalmist said, we're supposed to enter his gates with thanksgiving. We're supposed to come into his courts with praise. In another passage, the psalmist said, lifting up holy hands because we worship a holy God. You don't worship God. If you wait to worship God when you feel like it, there'll be a lot of times that you miss out on a good worship experience. We don't worship God because we feel like worshiping God. We worship God because He's worthy regardless of how we feel. Can I hear an amen? We live in an age of sensation. We think if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But Paul Shearer said, the wisdom of God says something different. I want you to hear this. I'm going to read it twice because it's so good. He says, we can act our way into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel our way into a new way of acting. We can act our way into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel our, way into, uh, feel our ways into a new way of acting. Just because we don't feel chosen has no bearing on the fact that we are chosen. 1 Peter 2 and 9. Paul said, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. He owns you. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Can I tell you this morning that along this road called life, I can promise you there will be days when you don't feel chosen. There will be days when you certainly don't feel worthy. And there will be days that you have to remind yourself that you don't even own the rights to your own feelings anymore. I talked about it in the Fit Church series. I'm going to talk about it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. He says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Watch this. You do not belong to yourself. 
For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. There are going to be days when your feelings will forsake you. Trust me. I told him this morning, I'm going to tell you, for those of you that, that gasp for air when I say something, when, I, when I'm real with you, you, you can get ready and go, oh. There are days that I don't feel like being anybody's pastor. Thank you, Brad. Brad felt the witness right there. There are days that you just don't feel like it. But that doesn't change the fact that God chose you. God called you. And you cannot let your feelings lead you astray. As a matter of fact, you need to realize you don't even own the rights to your own feelings anymore. If you learn that, you'll be able to do what Jesus said uh, when Peter asked, Lord, how many times am I supposed to forgive somebody a day? Jesus, he said, seven or 70. Jesus said, no, seven times 70. 490 times in a day. When you've had to forgive the same person 490 times in a day, come talk to me. I'll tell you how to avoid that. Spend less time around them. Somebody say amen. But when you learn that you don't even own the right to your own emotions and your own feelings anymore, that you realize that you don't really have the right to get upset and angered at somebody even when they do you wrong. Chew on that a little while. You've been bought with a price. And the price that you've been bought with puts you on a different plateau, on a different level. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to God. Therefore, in everything you do, choose God's way because God chose you. There are going to be days when your feelings will forsake you. And in spite of how you feel, you're going to have to square your shoulders back. You're going to have to stand firm on God's word to you and about you. I want you to listen to Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through the first part of verse 5. He says, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you, O Israel. The one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Listen to this. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored, and I love you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Can I tell you this morning that you did not do the choosing? But thanks be to God. In His grace and in His mercy, He has chosen you, and He has chosen me. We've been chosen by an almighty God. So secondly, this morning, I need you to understand that because you are chosen, being chosen leads to choices. Being chosen forces us to make choices. Because reality is you can be chosen and still refuse to follow. You can be chosen and still refuse to follow. Being chosen leads to choices. And there's many choices that we must make once we have been chosen. But I just want to keep it simple this morning and focus on one thing. One thing that if we do this one thing, it will take care of all the rest. 
The number one choice we must make is simply to obey. It's the single most important choice and that it's the one that all other choices hinge on. We have to make a conscious decision to obey. The disciples, we're talking about being a disciple, the disciples had to make that choice. Remember back in the passage of Scripture that I opened up with when Jesus found them on the seashore. Frustrated. They were frustrated because they had fished all night long, but they had caught nothing. And Jesus gives them these very odd instructions. Because first of all, it was the wrong time of the day. And he tells them, cast your nets again. And here you have fishermen being instructed on fishing by a carpenter. Think about that. We live in a society today that a lot of people have the attitude, even in the church, you can't tell me nothing about nothing. Because everybody thinks they already know all they need to know. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing you've always done and expecting different results. And these fishermen were doing it their way. The, the way of the day. Oh, that'll preach. That's a whole other sermon. That's a good thought. The way of the day. And as they were doing it that way, they thought there was nothing else they could be told, especially by this carpenter. He ain't even a fisherman, hello. But he gives them these odd instructions. And he says, cast your nets again. And they start to make excuses. Well, that, that's not going to work. That's not going to do anything. But then they decide to obey. And when they obeyed, a great harvest came. Can I tell you this morning that true disciples, true disciples, make decisions in spite of feelings, in spite of their own wisdom and intellect, or even their own experience, and they obey. When I was growing up in church, we used to sing a song that just simply said, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And in the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament, the whole story in the Old Testament, is an account of God trying to get His people to obey. Everything you read, that's what it's about. God trying to get His people to obey. David knew that with God, obedience is better than sacrifice. And nothing changed in regard to that in the New Testament. Jesus drives home the importance of obedience in the life of a disciple by saying, and I'm just going to paraphrase these into my own words, and Lauren don't have them for the screen, but in John chapter 14 and verse 15, he basically said, if you love me, show it by doing what I've told you to do. And then in John 15 and 10, he said, if you keep my commands, if you do what I've told you to do, you will remain in my love. Now, that tells me if we don't keep his commandments, we won't remain in his love. And then there's this modern day theology that says, oh, now, pastor, wait a minute, God is love, and God loves everything. No, we don't. If you had been here Wednesday night, we talked about issues of the heart in our Bible study in the sanctuary class. Go back and watch it on live stream. This book teaches the world says today that God loves everything. No, God doesn't love everything. God loves everybody, but God does not love everything. 
This book tells us in the book of Proverbs there are six things. As a matter of fact, not only does he not love, he hates them. That's what the Word says. These six things the Lord hates, and seven is an abomination unto him. So in John 15 and 10, he says, If you do what I've told you to do, you'll remain in my love. So we know if we don't do what he's told us to do, we won't remain in his love. Simply put, disciples obey. I'm going to preach to us for just a moment and then I'm going to be done. I'm going to drop the, lower the boom on you now. True disciples, and I emphasize the word true, don't look for loopholes. And they don't look for how much they can get away with and still stay in right relationship with God. True disciples don't look for how much they can get by with. True disciples don't look for how much of the world can I hold on to one hand, within one hand, while I'm trying to hold on to the church in the other. Because close following requires complete obedience. As a matter of fact, we need to realize this morning that there is a difference between being close and being in. Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Think about that. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away and all things have become new. Paul did not say, if any man be close to Christ, because there's a difference in being close and being in. When Noah was building the ark, in the Old Testament, he was the laughing stock of society. People had never seen it rain before. And everybody thought that this old man was crazy. But when the ark was finished, Noah and his family and two of every creature on the earth were on board. After that, the door was shut and they were safely in. And when the rains came, I imagine that several folks began to gather around a little closer outside that ark. Because they had the idea that if it got too bad, I'm about to preach right here, that oh, they, they just, if it got too bad, they'd get old Noah to let them in that ark. Can I tell you, that's the problem in the church world today. People want to be just close enough to think that if it gets too bad, then I'll get in. If it gets too bad, then I'll knock on the door like the Bible says and have fellowship with the Lord. They, they thought, oh, we'll just gather around the ark and we'll get close to the ark, although we're not inside. If it gets too bad, old Noah will let them in. And the rains continued for days. And the rains continued for nights. And I can picture it now. Hundreds, possibly even thousands of people gathered close to that ark. I believe as the waters rose, some of them were so close, they were even holding on to that ark for safety. They were holding on to it. And as the rain continued, they began to beat on the door and to cry for Noah. Noah, open the door. You see, they were close, but they were not in. And destruction comes hear your pastor this morning there's destruction that will come when you want to just be close but you don't want to sell out
out so that you can be in. But if you want safety and if you want to arrive through the storm on the other side, you'll get inside the ark where the safety is. And when the storm's over, you'll just open the door like they do on the cruise ship and you'll just walk off of that concourse and ride on through to the other side because there's safety in being in with Jesus. There's danger in just wanting to be close. And can I tell you that as disciples, as true disciples of Christ, we should desire more than to just be close. We should strive to get in and to stay in. Because reality is, if you live very long in this life, there will be a storm. And all of those who are in will have shelter and safety. But those who were just close will be driven with the wind and the waves and they'll be tossed to and fro as they come to the music this morning. One man rightfully said, he said, we have disconnected obedience from faith. Producing a default gospel that is eating the life out of our churches. We have disconnected obedience from faith. Producing a default gospel that is eating the life out of our churches. What does that mean, Pastor? That means that we are to have faith in God. But it's not just enough to have faith. We also are to obey His Word. Now, how can you obey the Word if you don't know the Word? How can you obey the Word if you don't know the Word? We've disconnected obedience from faith, producing a default gospel that's eating the life out of our churches. That's why a lot of places, and, and, and this, is the only, this is the only church God has called me to pastor. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I hope you like me because I pray it's the only one he ever calls me to pastor. I don't want to go anywhere else. And if you want me to go somewhere else, I'm sorry. But as long as God calls me to pastor, I want to pastor right here and see what God's doing right here. But with that said, I'm the shepherd of this flock. And I need to tell you the truth this morning. This is why a lot of places that you'll go where faith has been disconnected from obedience, we find a lot of confusing things, questions that I answer on a weekly basis. Not from, not from folks most of the time in this church, just other folks in the community and other places. Why is it that, matter of fact, I had one this morning. I saw so-and-so doing so-and-so from this other church. How can they do that? I don't know. I don't know how they can do that. But I want to tell you something. In this church, we're never going to disconnect obedience from faith. We're going to preach the Word, the unadulterated, uncompromising Word, regardless of who it offends, 
regardless of who it upsets. That's what's wrong with the mansy-pansy society we live in today. We want to tiptoe around the tulips, around every issue there is, and not say anything to offend anybody. And that is baloney in the church because when Jesus preached, Jesus offended the multitudes. He lined their brakes most of the time. I'm not qualified to line your brakes on my own because God has to line my brakes in my prayer closet sometime. But it's my responsibility to preach to you the truth of the Word of God so that you will realize that there's more than just believing that there is a God. There's more than just asking Him into your heart to become your Savior. There's a daily walk that you need to partake of. And in that daily walk, you need to read His Word. You need to realize when you're in violation and misalignment with His Word, you need to ask for forgiveness in your life. And then you need to bring your life into alignment with the Word of God. And when you do that, other people will see a difference in you instead of say, seeing that, oh, they go to church here, but they do this and that all the time. They'll look at them and say, now there's somebody who's really sold out to God, who really loves the Lord. And when they see the difference in you, you, we won't be able to fit them in this building or the building we're getting ready to build because I believe there's a great harvest of souls to be genuinely saved, authentically saved before the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's your responsibility as much as it's my responsibility to take this word and apply it to your life and to lead as many to the cross as you can. We can't lead them to the cross if we never go to the cross ourselves. We can't disconnect faith from obedience and produce a default gospel that eats the life out of our churches. Stand with me all over the room this morning. What we must say is even so, Lord Jesus, we'll do what you say. We will trust and obey because our level of discipleship will determine the depth of our obedience. And when you have choices to make, and you will, just keep it simple. Simply Obey God's Word. Every other choice that you have must be weighed out through this choice. Listen, if it comes down to my way or the world's way, what's right or what's wrong, preference, tradition, influence, trends, what's socially acceptable, I'm going to stop and I'm going to weigh it out in light of my choice to obey Jesus and what He says. This is the last thing I'm going to share, and we're going to open the altar. We call Jesus Lord because that term is more socially acceptable. But have you ever noticed in his word that his disciples mostly called him Master? The truth is, a lot of us don't even like that term because we don't see ourselves as needing anybody to be our Master. But let that sink in. Maybe, just maybe, we need to let Jesus become master in our lives. And every single one of us in this room today need to ask ourselves, are we really living as if we are His disciples? Are we just trying to stay close? Or are we really trying to get in? The only thing that separates the two is what we choose. So this is it. I'm going to open the altar. There's going to be several other messages. But in this series, the simplicity that I think God wants you to understand today is this. Number one, you have been chosen. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And number two, 
because he chose you, you have some choices to make. Nobody can make those choices for you but you. You either choose bitterness, anger, resentment, strife, or you choose love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. You choose those things. So here's what I believe. I believe every one of us in this room today have some choices that we can make. And I pray that if you're seated here today that you, and you have not made the choice to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to invite Him into your heart and into your life, I pray that you're the first one in this altar this morning. But I also know that almost everybody else in this building has choices that we need to make in light of God's Word. And we need to turn the searchlight on in our hearts and say, God... Are we truly living like your disciples? Show us today. Because when you ask him, he will. And so I want to ask you, if you will, this morning, when they sing, we're going to open the altar. There's plenty of room up here for you to find a place to kneel and pray. And I want to invite you to take just a few moments to turn the searchlight on in your heart and say, God, am I simply obeying? Am I really showing the characteristics that I'm your true disciple? Let's pray. Father. We love you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your word today. God, That I pray that it touches hearts and change lives today. God, that we will apply this word and that it will change us from who we are to who you've called us to be. So, God, I pray today if there's one person in this room under the sound of my voice that's not ready to meet you, if they're lost, I pray, God, that they would make their way to this altar this afternoon and that they would invite you into their heart and accept you as their Lord and Savior. And God, for the remainder of this body that is represented here today, God, let each one of us examine ourselves today and see if we are truly exhibiting the characteristics of being a true disciple of Christ. God, we have choices to make, and we want you to lead God and direct in every choice. That's our prayer today. Do a work in this altar that only you can do, and we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name.